This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. My name is David Vaucher. I lead IHS Markets North American Upstream Onshore Field Operations, and I'm coming today from the IHS Market Podcast Studio, otherwise known as my kitchen table. So this is a great time for me to just uh, hope that everyone out there that's listening is staying well, your families are healthy, and that you're able to stay relatively productive uh, given what's going on. So today, I think we've got something uh, very special and certainly different from what we would usually do in this podcast series. And I'm joined by three of my colleagues. So Sheila Moore is the director for the Upstream Capital Cost Forum. Hi. Um, yeah, so uh, I work in the Upstream Capital Cost, and we look at uh, how project costs have changed uh, globally. Um, it's pretty much what our service takes care of. Excellent. And then we've also got, uh, I would say, a little bit of a counterpart. Uh, so Reed Olmsted directs the um, Place and Basins team. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, David. And yeah, it's uh, largely focused on supply and what, what the major trends are going on in North America and how that affects uh, capital allocation across the sector. Excellent. And then finally, we have Richard Sanchez, who's one of our experts on offshore equipment. Hello, I'm uh, the senior marine editor for um, for the Petrodata group of suite of products, uh, we focus exclusively on the offshore equipment, on the vessels, the rigs, um, the field installations. Um, and uh, I, I was interested in doing this podcast as I wanted to hear from some of the other cost people with respect to onshore and uh, offshore of uh, how the costs stand right now and at what point we might be able to start to see some sort of uh, recovery in spending uh, for the offshore and onshore and what those price points might look like. Yep. And I think so. that's, that's actually a good segue into uh, the introduction for this podcast. Now, usually the way that we would structure these is we'd have one, you know, two, three guests. Uh, the number might vary, but certainly the topic would be fixed on one area. Uh, so we might talk about either onshore or offshore. Uh, this is a, a good way for us to compare and contrast onshore and offshore. And I will say that uh, just to keep things as manageable, and we'll just say apples to apples as possible, clearly onshore is going to be uh, very U.S. focused. It's going to be unconventional, so we'll speak about the lower 48 in Canada. When we talk about offshore, uh, it'll be limited to uh, Gulf of Mexico, and then perhaps as Sheila and Richard um, deem necessary, they can work in some examples from Canada and Latin America. So with that said, I think what I want to do is just to set the uh, tone for everyone, uh, just go around the virtual room and get everyone's assessment for what they think the situation is for their particular area. So Sheila, can you please walk us through what uh, what offshore costs are looking like now and in the near and longer term future? Okay, so for our offshore costs, when we look at it, even globally or even uh, North America, it's going to be extremely depressed. Um, and when we look at our forecast going forward, we kind of pay attention to what's happened in the past. The last 2014-2015 downturn, we saw costs decrease quite a bit, and um, service companies have been uh, trying to recover back from that decline. 
And when we get to the end of 2019, we saw that we had a little bit of a price recovery in some markets. And then in the first quarter, we had the downturn and the oil price coupled with COVID. And so what we're seeing is any of the gains or price gains that service companies might have achieved since the last downturn are going away. And so they're basically put into a worse position. And so, you know, all this combined together, we're going to see changes in overall supply chain. So you're going to see changes in your rigs, um, who's going to be able to be there at the end. So with with all this changing and companies, we anticipate more will go bankrupt, we're going to have to restructure. And even with, you know, if we kind of stay around $40 of oil, um, for offshore, it's still, the demand is going to be still pretty low for activity. So, you know, when, when we we do our forecast going out this year and next year, it's going to be extremely muted and driven by the low demand. We don't see activity ramping back up significantly in the next two years. Um, our forecasts out for our offshore indices are just below inflation moving out. So, I mean, it's going to be extremely weak market overall for offshore. So, you know, it's it's kind of it's extremely depressing. I don't know if sure. if uh, Richard is seeing anything more, uh, anything better for the offshore uh, vessel markets, but it's it's not looking good for offshore in general. Um, and um, we have gotten a couple client questions about, you know, what would happen if uh, activity does pick up? And so they're all concerned about whether or not there's going to be um, ample supply ready, especially since they're stacking so many rigs and um, retiring. They're going to end up retiring more. Will there be like a price spike? I, you know, it's hard hard sure. to see that happening. <laughs> sure. so, um, yeah. So, so, so on that on that point, then that's a, a good segue into. To Richard, what you're looking at, I guess there's a two-part question Sheila kind of teed up there. The first one is, what are you seeing now in terms of where the utilization's at, given the the scene that Sheila just set? And do you expect that to rationalize downwards then to to meet where where demand is is looking to go? Yeah, the offshore supply vessels, which is the the main market that I focus on, uh, they have direct correlation with the drilling rigs. In fact, they depend on offshore drilling to to give them sort of their base of activity and work. They're at the lowest point that we've seen, um, I think, ever, to be honest. Uh, the other comparison might be to the 1984-85 crash in, uh, in offshore oil and gas, uh, which hit the market really hard back then. Um, but you still had, in the, in the 85 crash, you still had a large base of activity, so uh, it was largely a jackup market then. Before the before eight, in in early '84, I think you probably were looking at more than a hundred rigs, uh, jackups working on the on the offshore Gulf. After the crash, uh, it came down to something like 70 rigs. And so while that was significant, it, there was still a lot of work there for the vessel owners to do. Uh, this time around, uh, we've seen a severe constriction in the use of the boats. We've had in May, we had a huge number of boats that were released from jobs and were mostly sent straight inshore for, for layup. The vessel owners are suffering probably through one of the worst downturns they've ever had. 2014 was a really bad downturn from that for them. Uh, but even going into that, you still had a big backlog. One of the real differences going into, the into this sort of more severe downturn now, which was really created by uh, COVID's uh, destruction of demand for oil, 
there's 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 sort of there's no uh, there's no real supports there on the rig side uh when when we went into the 2014 downturn the rig companies had a huge backlog of you know months of wells uh going forward uh that they could sort of count on as future income that's been gradually eroded uh over the last four or five years and because the contract structures for the rigs offshore has been significantly shorter than in the past when we were in 2014 those rig companies and the oil companies were going into that downturn with you know, sometimes holding three, four year contracts on the rigs. Uh, this time around, we have a lot more short term rigs where they've only they only uh, chartered the rig for a few wells, uh, maybe six months to nine months. And so that means that now as we're going as the downturn is getting more severe and we're starting to see the budget cuts that were announced early in the year really take effect and show up as as cancellation of, of of drilling programs, it's just getting worse and worse. And in fact, just this morning, I was uh, looking up RigBase, which is our market intelligence tool for the rigs, and I saw there were two more cancellations. The Pacific Sharav uh, had its last well canceled. Uh, it's currently with Total. It was supposed to be going back to Murphy, uh, and Murphy went ahead and just decided they weren't going to do the work they were planning uh, with it in Mexico. Uh, now, they still went ahead and contracted the rig for some additional wells starting in the second half of 2021, but that doesn't really help the rig contractors uh, here sure. in 2020 when, when they're really suffering. Um, there yeah. was another one, the Pacific CamSim, I believe it had it, its remaining well with Equinor canceled. And while it's still working now, it's going to be rolling off in a month or two. Sure. And I expect we could continue to see more cancellations of the of the actual uh, rig yeah. schedule. So, so it's okay. So unfortunately, uh, if anyone was tuning in for good news, uh, Sheila and Richard did not set a great <laughs> tone. And I guess, spoiler alert, I don't think Reed's going to be able to make things any better. But I guess, Reed, by providing some um, high-level numbers in terms of uh, production and CapEx, what does the scene look like now for U.S. onshore going forward, particularly as it relates to the the awful state we were in just a couple months ago? Are we out of the woods, or is it going to be uh, still a uh, hard road ahead for us? Well, I'll put it this way. The story is, is brighter um, in the sense that, you know, uh, the hurricane came through and we thought we lost everything, but in fact, uh, the toilet is still affixed to the floor. Um, so okay. it's bad, but it's not as bad as we thought. So where we are, where we're thinking, uh, look, we've all lived through this. Uh, in every sector. I mean, even even everybody at IHS has lived through this with, with our clients and whatnot. I would say, again, the worst is behind us and the outlook is brighter, but that's only because the toilet is still uh, bolted down. So we see CapEx this year, we're expecting it to come in around $40 billion, which is pretty low. And the real kicker on that is, look, $40 billion, but we were expecting 84 to $86 billion at the beginning of the year. And that's what we were tracking, right? So the first quarter of the year, operators spent a third of that. So you can take that 25 billion or 22 billion and say that's already spent. That doesn't leave a lot of money for the for the remaining nine months of the year. We're kind of on pace for that. So this year is is horrendous. And you can look at anything out there, any commentary from operators, service industry, look at look at how long a house stays on the market uh, on your block and realize it's bad across the board and oil and gas is not unique in this. 
So that said, the bright side, the bright side is next year. It's going to be bad this year, and we know that. We've seen the industry really respond acutely to this problem. So we saw a lot of shut-ins. We saw OPEC respond. Um, and so the imbalance has has really gotten, you know, we had this huge overhang, this huge supply imbalance, and that's really gotten worked out much faster than, than you know, a lot of people were expecting. We even were very aggressive on, on our expectation. And we were behind the ball on how quickly this would work out. So that is to say, things are not as bad as they used to be. And next year will be better. In fact, I've been looking at rigs. Rig count is actually starting to come up. We we troughed on lower 48 onshore activity at about 223 back uh, back early July. And we hit 250 uh, last week uh, by IHS count. So rigs are coming back. We're seeing shut-ins come back and next year it's going to be even better so next year we're going to be at about 52 billion dollars of upstream capex upstream onshore and uh and that's a good thing and it's going to continue to go up from there the other good thing that we're seeing is a shift in the business model and and i say that as their operators are maintaining their commitment to a shift in the business model as returns based as opposed to growth and we saw that starting to play out and that's been a story that we've talked about for a couple of years, that they're really starting to be very good financial stewards of investor money. Now, David, you asked if there's a bright side. And while I've talked about it's not as bad as it used to be, that's not really a bright side. We talked yep. about a shift in the business model. That's not really a bright side. You want a true bright side? Uh-huh. How, about gas, how about gas prices above 350 next year? Wow. Yeah. And that's our average. And there's a, there's a neat little interplay between oil and gas. And this is a story that we started developing a few months ago. And we're really starting to get our, our minds wrapped around it and put some really robust analysis behind it. But you drill and well in the Permian for oil and you get some gas. And that's associated gas. And it really doesn't factor into a lot of the economics. In fact, we saw all the reports of flaring and venting and, you know, we shouldn't be doing this. Well, now what was going to happen was a third of the gas market in the U.S. was going to be this gas that was produced for, you know, wasn't based on economics. That was 30 BCF a day. And we're going to start seeing that decline, not go away, but definitely not grow into our demand outlook. And so what that means is we have less free gas. That means we've got to have more gas activity that's driven by gas economics. And to get that, you've got to have a rising gas price. So we're actually very bullish on gas price going into next year. Really, it kicks off around fourth quarter. And that's going to be the bright side of where we see the industry going. The oil is going to come along. The oil will survive, but the gas is the is the optimist okay. story. I knew we, I knew we'd get to some positive news here. It took a little time to get to it, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad we got there. So I think what I want to do now is really move into um, the, the the motivation behind Richard asking for this in the first place. Really, what I, what I want to understand is um, first from from Sheila and Reed. Do you think there is any like tension now in investment decisions and dollars? between offshore and onshore. And granted, we're talking about a, a smaller subset of operators, those that can do one or the other, but even amongst the investment community, do you think this is going to change the bias from one to the other in terms of where the, the dollars are spent? And then um, Richard, once once they provided their input, I'd love to hear some commentary from you uh, in terms of how, how you may see the, the market shifting, if in fact there is perhaps a move away from um, from uh, from onshore. So Sheila, if we could start with you in terms of what your thoughts, thoughts are between uh, maybe more or less uh, investment going to, to offshore? 
Well, I, I think there might be less investment going to offshore because even when we look at our break evens, you know, we we have several like maybe around 40, 45 percent of like projects in the Gulf of Mexico that could be um, that it would have break evens below forty dollars. But I mean, that's not like a huge chunk of of um, the break evens. But you know. The one bright side when we look at our forecasts and we're going over our new break-evens is that some of the equipment, some of the efficiency gains that we're going to be forced to take on because of the downturn might lower some of the break-evens. But it's still, I think it's more of a secure bet because when we go to onshore than offshore, it's a longer investment you know, once you invest, you still have to, you're there for like a couple of years for the CapEx and it's just a shorter turnaround for onshore. So it seems, in my opinion, that onshore is a better investment in this current situation. If you're looking at muted lower oil price, uh, sure. where would you invest? It just makes more logical sense to send your money to onshore. It doesn't mean that there isn't projects in the Gulf of Mexico that are profitable um, currently it's just, there aren't Understood. a large number of them. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually, so Reed, I mean, based on what, what you're seeing, uh, and, and the shift in business model you discussed, is that, is that what you're also, um, you're also understanding, or is there maybe a different view that you're seeing from your vantage point? So we think that production and capital will be pr- preferentially allocated onshore. And you brought up a good point. There aren't a lot of companies that have that optionality, certainly between Gulf of Mexico and lower 48. But the ones that do, um, will look at it from a strategic premise of what do my investors want? But one thing that's changed is, look, when we came into this year, back in October of last year, when everybody was doing their planning, they were looking at a $45 to $50 price deck as their base case. And what we've heard from people and what, we, what we're starting to come to is planning cases are going to be a lot lower than that from now on. And there are a couple of reasons. One is we're going to plan for a lower price so that we can make sure we, we hit those investor returns targets. But also there's a sort of a fear going on in the industry, not a fear, but a realization of, look, man, uh, on January 1st, COVID was just something that was in the news, like on the fourth page of the paper. And on March 31st, it flipped the world upside down. Could that happen again? It's, it's the realization of the black swan, right? Um, and, and it's come true. And it came true somewhat back in 2014, 2015, when price collapsed, it's come true again. And so operators are going to be planning at a much lower level on their, on their price deck. And so that puts a lot of the a lot of the uh, offshore and and stress, right? And then there's the timing issue, which is, look, I can respond to a price collapse in a matter of months. You know, we saw saw volumes crash in March, April, and May um, as a result of shut-ins. Well, if you're two years into a three-year project, you've still got to spend money on that offshore platform, and and that that doesn't work well. So- um, I think there's going to be activity. There's still going to be activity offshore. In my mind, there's still going to be capital deployed, but significantly, le- I think the preference is going to be towards more responsive barrels. Okay. So then, Richard, you know, I think everyone's really sort of uh, reinforcing the original premise here and kind of the, the scene that you originally set. Are 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 you seeing any kind of like 
green shoots of recovery here? I mean, what in in your and your team's view is the path towards recovery in the equipment market specifically, uh, if there is even any in the next couple of years? Oh, it's really hard to see. Um, while he was talking about how the offshore has had the sort of storm past, I mean, the onshore has sort of been through some of the worst. Uh, for offshore activity, uh, I think I think the the this third and fourth quarter are going to see uh, the number of wells drilled get fewer, the number of rigs contracted fall. Uh, right now, I believe we're down to around 17. Uh, floating drilling rigs, that's the semis and uh, drill ships, which do the deep water work out there. Only about half of those have really long-term contracts carrying them into 2021. So unless we start to see some of these companies decide that they want to keep the rig for longer, which has not been the trend, but the trend has been that as as the company gets to the, to the end of their rig contract, they're much more likely to release it. Uh, and we probably see, I'm probably seeing at least another six uh, floating rigs which are expected to be released by the end of the year. And I think we might only have one uh, coming up for Chevron, uh, which they contracted a while back. So I, I feel like we're gonna continue to see erosion of, uh, of offshore. Uh, 2021 is likely to be a better year for offshore, but only because 2020 will have been so devastating and terrible. I, I'm, just, I'm just really worried for the industry. Right now we're in a situation where uh, the EMP companies, the oil companies, have been enjoying uh, top-of-the-line equipment for less than it costs to build the equipment. All wow. these uh, state-of-the-art vessels and rigs, which were built, say, you know, five, ten years ago, uh, at great cost. Uh, at least on the vessel side, their values of, 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 of I would argue, less than half. Uh, vessels which were going for uh, 35, 40 million originally from the shipyards. Uh, I think last year you were able to pick up one of those, which was sort of left behind for about 20 million. Uh, wow. Some of the other rates have been as low as eight to 14 million for for some of these new generation vessels when you're buying them from the bank, so to speak, uh, because sure. a certain number of vessels have been repossessed and have come under the ownership of the banks. Uh, when the bank finally owns the piece of equipment, uh, they really want to unload it. And so while while we saw the the uh, the vessel values, uh, they, 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 they were a bit sticky in 2016 and 2017, which were really horrible years for offshore. But the vessel owners didn't want to sell because they had expectation that the yep. tonnage they were holding on to could potentially double in value if things dramatically turned around, which had, I think had been the, some of their experiences in the past. And and so it wasn't really until this year and last year that you started to see those values uh, for the really older vessels come down to as low, like for say like a 15 year old 3,000 deadweight ton PSV come down to like a million five. Yeah. So now we've started seeing some of those find their way into other alternative work. There's not a, there's not really enough of it because there's such an oversupply of boats, but some of it has been finding its way into other kind of jobs. You have some vessels which are supporting um, SpaceX right now and doing sort of the retrieval of rocket uh, wow. rocket parts. Uh, you had a few big international anchor handlers working on the the Great Pacific Garbage Patch where they were sort of cleaning up that big floating island of garbage. Um, we've seen vessels starting to support offshore wind installation, offshore wind surveys. Um, I think we're likely to see more of that in the next few years as we start to see more offshore wind projects on the U.S. coast. But it, it's just a bad situation for the vessel sure. owners. Uh, yeah. We've seen a lot of bankruptcies already. 
I think those bank companies who've already been through the bankruptcy might be in the best position going forward because they're going to have the lower costs. But overall, I mean, the reason I even wanted to have this conversation, I wanted to try to get an idea of at what kind of oil price points we might to see might start to see some kind of recovery in offshore. And, and really what I'm seeing from this discussion is I think we're going to have to see significantly higher oil prices. I think I think it we might we might have to see more like uh, 55 60 dollars a barrel before we start to see the sanctioning of any real significant projects. Sure. Uh, L logs uh, uh, sanctioned a big project this year, uh, but it was really an outlier. Uh, the majority of things are getting revised. We're seeing lots of uh, LNG projects around the world just get canceled that that we're going forward. I think this is another thing that's going to help gas prices, natural gas prices is sure. that you know, from what Reed was saying, that we're going to have lower supply of that. Uh, but for offshore, and we've looked at offshore gas in the past, I think it's too expensive. I think at the moment, if anyone's going to want to actually go and do some some development in order to develop gas, I think it's going to be much easier and cheaper to do it onshore. Yeah. Offshore gas requires something more closer to like five to six dollars per foot for the gas in order to yeah. make the, the offshore gas profitable, which I think we'd seen in the, the distant past. But I, I doubt we're going to see those kind of prices yeah. again. Even, so, even as prices improve, I don't think they'll get that high to stimulate the offshore gas. Yeah, yeah I, think I think offshore gas is kind of dead, even if you look yeah. at the jackups. I sure. mean, yeah. there's like four working, and I don't think, I think by the end of the, two of them are doing plug-in abandonment. There isn't a lot of work. But back to your uh, vessel comment, um, and the, looking at the price point of oil going forward, because what we talk about what the oil price needs to be to make uh, future projects profitable, but with, they already invested in older projects that they actually need the oil price to be um, higher. So, you know, operators are struggling as well. And when they come to contracting, because, you know, you mentioned that um, vessel owners reduce costs. And a lot of the operators expect them to stay at that cost reduction, even though it's below operating expenses. Because some of those contracts for offshore installation, they bundled everything together. And sometimes the vessel was actually uh, like half of the price. The day rate was half. But, you know, you had everything bundled together and it gave the operators a good a good deal. And now operators don't want to see any price increase, even though that the vessel owners need to just to maintain operating expenses. So yeah. it's that battle between you gave me this good rate. Why are you increasing the price now? Right. Right. No, it, it is. It is difficult. And actually, uh, this is all building towards uh, something which I, I know that I had in my mind when we were prepping this. So, uh, Reed, I want to throw, I guess, a, a two two part question to you. The first one is just getting into the the tactical piece of oil price kind of what is your outlook uh for for oil price in the next you know two three years roughly and what's the the level where you really think it would need to be at to to spur recovery so that's the the first kind of quick question the second one and i'm hoping i can get out of you the same analogy that you used when we were prepping for this but you know us onshore specifically has had this roughly call it 15 year period now of really being in the spotlight and now it seems like all interest is gone. So I'm being a little facetious here, but kind of what what's the point? I, I didn't want to bring geopolitics into this now, but you know Saudi Arabia has done what they've done, Russia as well. We know there's barrels everywhere. So so what's the the point, I guess, of U.S. onshore if everyone's kind of saying, well, the money isn't as good as we thought it was, or maybe it's more difficult to make that money? Uh, so without leading you too much on, kind of what are your thoughts on those two aspects there? Yeah, sure. So. 
I'll tell you, uh, this year we're looking at like a $42 average price, I think. And uh, next year it'll be about 47, but that's average. So we're coming up next year. It's going to be, I think we're leaving next year. Our fourth quarter is around $52 and a, and a modest, moderate uh, ramp up of a couple bucks a year. Uh, nothing, nothing really exciting about it, but that's because the industry has changed. Right. Uh, and so what does it take to really get growth back? I don't know because I was. We talked with a lot of executives, and I was on the phone last week with the CEO of one of the largest producers in America. And we're running through scenarios, and I said, "All right, back me up here. Sixty-five dollar oil. You're going to drill." And he goes, "Not a chance. Wow. Not a chance. I'm going to wow. keep to my wow. plan. I'm going to return that money. Everybody's gotten so beat up over this in the last three or four years, especially this year. Sixty-five dollars." doesn't really do it for me and so then my question is then my question is as as an analyst and observer of the industry can i even craft a story to get us to 65 dollars yeah um a realistic plausible story and so at that point i don't i don't think there's a lot of upside i think everybody is really defensive right now um and even if we go to 65 i mean we'll see some activity change but the industry's really changed a lot in the last couple years too it used to be a lot smaller companies that were more nimble, more responsive, that would look to capture upside. And, and, and you know, uh, they were a lot more volatile in behavior, which isn't to say volatility is bad. It's just when you look at Exxon, uh, Exxon hung at their rig count. They were the last operator to drop rigs in the U.S. because, hey, they've got a plan. They've committed. They're here for the long term. Yeah, they can keep drilling at you know a thirty dollar price because they've got a fifteen year horizon, whereas a private operator has a three to four year horizon. They've got a much different different expectation for investors. So all that is to say, um, I I don't know that we see a price that realistically changes behavior in a material way. Um, so then, what second is, question? So what is the role? We're still pumping out ten million barrels a day, and takes money to replace that. The United States every day, it's a decline. U.S. production is a declining asset. If you don't spend money today, your production drops. And so we will continue to see activity. We will continue to see investment because we still are producing 10 million barrels a day uh, or 12. You know, we're still a very material force and we're also the most responsive. Uh, when you think about who could drop 2 million barrels in a matter of months, there are only a couple of places that can and would. And due to the unique situation of the United States industry, we could do it. And we did it. And OPEC came along and they dropped some barrels too. But when you think yep. about what country, what supply asset can respond that nimbly, there aren't many. And the U.S. still has a very material role to play. Should we see something like this happen again? Should we? And even if we don't, it's still... Yep you know, a 10th of global supply right now. Sure. Okay. So I think the the discussion, as I suspected, we could probably go on for at least another hour on this, but I think to keep things just sort of uh, manageable, because I think the story that everyone's told is is cohesive now, uh, but I think just to, to keep things manageable and also importantly, just end on uh, a, a bright note, uh, what I'd like to do is just go around again, the virtual room, starting with Sheila and maybe just uh, in 30 seconds or so, uh, you know, first maybe Sheila, then Richard, then Reed. Uh, what what are the what, what is the bright spot in your respective area? That's a really tough question. Um, 
the bright spot. Well, I think all the discussions they had during the last downturn about uh, cutting costs, whether or not the cost cutting would stick, um, I think the cost cutting will end up sticking. But with that said, I do know that with uh, it's going to be pretty tough on people. There's going to be layoffs. So, yeah, I can't actually say if there's going right. to be a bright spot for offshore because it, the the bright spot for the operators is going to be horrible for the service company. So it's a give and a take for offshore. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think nowadays everything's relative. And I guess, yeah. Richard, on, on your point of view, I think maybe the, the, the bright spot here, if we can call it that, might be the fact that there's so much extra equipment for other types of, of projects like, you know, the SpaceX and, and the, um, the, the, the offshore wind. I mean, would you agree with that? Or is there something else that I, I'm not catching? No, that's true. If, if you have a project that requires sophisticated, expensive offshore support vessels, this is actually a great time to go out and acquire equipment. You're going to get top of the line, state of the art equipment at less than it costs to build. In terms of the offshore, uh, the, the bright spot is going to be outside of the U.S. Gulf. The U.S. Gulf is facing uh, continued pain in the offshore sector, uh, but down in Guyana and Brazil, uh, those fields are large enough, and it looks like their lift costs have been are, are low enough uh, that those projects are going to continue going forward. Excellent, great. I, I that's that's an excellent answer, and I think it provides a lot of, um, of of open space within which to work. Right, so you can look beyond the Gulf of Mexico, and there's a whole world of potential opportunities. So again, it's and all it, relative it, nowadays. We did. We already started seeing a lot of the U.S. vessel owners moving out into Latin America as they started to realize that there was still big projects out there, even though their the projects in their backyard were shrinking. Okay, excellent. And then, uh, Reed, let's end with U.S. onshore. What uh, what's what's the bright spot? Uh, so one bright spot, I think, is the is the fulfillment of the change in business model. It's something that that investors have been demanding for a while and we're seeing operators really walk the walk right now they've had to talk it for a couple of years as they as they implemented the change and now they've really they've committed to it and it's believable and i think that that's going to help the business the other bright spot like i mentioned is gas uh if you're a gas operator you are finally getting uh, a, a you know a tailwind here for your business model um it's going to take a little bit of time due to some nuances of the business to really capture it but they will. And so uh, North America onshore gas is really going to be a, a bright spot for the business in the coming couple of years. Excellent. Great. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to get three very solid answers to, to end positively. Uh, I guess, you know, we've, we've now gone over a half hour, I think. I just want to want to thank everyone, Sheila, Richard, Reed, for your time. Uh, anyone out in the audience that's listening to this and wants to find out more, I think we'll probably put some contact information uh, down in the show notes. So please do feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, and especially if you want to speak with anyone in particular, uh, we'll make that happen for you. Uh, beyond that, just want to encourage everyone uh, to please stay safe, stay healthy. We, we hope that for you. And uh, we hope that you can uh, catch us here on the next episode of the uh, IHS Market Upstream podcast series. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. To read additional insights from our team of experts, visit our blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. 
To learn more about IHS Market Energy solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.